That was loud. Yep. Would you like a caramel? I'm good. I had a lot of sugar in my coffee. I didn't. I'm yeah. going to have a caramel. Yep. And see how healthy you're being. See? It's effective. I get to be happy twice. <laughs> I have coffee and then I have caramel. <laughs> Both of those things make me happy. Uh-huh. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 12 of The Last Battle. This chapter is called Through the Stable Door. I am Susan. That's all. Also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. No subtitles there? You're just Susan? Nope, just Susan. I'm a fine piece of Nardian clothing that is both comfortable and beautiful. Oh. And I don't have a piece of flannel or a stitch of elastic in sight. Flannels are so comfy, though. Tell that to Lewis. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'm also known as Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Welcome to this chapter. Yep. Chapter 12. There we go. All right. So, um, do we banter... Or can we just dive right into the summaries? How's your week going, Kristen? <laughs> well, um, for Valentine's Day, instead of recording an episode, we went to Ikea. Yeah. That was fun. That's why we skipped last week, because we were having Valentine's Day uh, Ikea uh, team adventure. Building, team building exercises. Yay! Successfully built a furniture. Yeah. No fights. Oh. Only one mean word was said. <laughs> it was a really, really, really successful event. It was a good day. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't get the flannel thing at all. Like starch, sure. Flannel, I've, maybe flannel was much less comfortable in the well, 50s. Well, I mean, it's thicker material, yeah. generally, than like the cottony flannels that we get now. And is elastic generally considered uncomfy? Uh, hello? Cause hello? The- I mean, people Hell, wear... It's annoying. Elastic is so uncomfortable. I mean, people wear freaking sweatpants and yoga pants all the time because they're so comfy and yet theirs are entirely elastic-based. So, I don't know. Yoga pants are stretchy and everybody wears them because they're comfy. So, I, I, I don't know. That's... that's Whatever. Anyway, I was so trying to banter with your you. Your banter is griping about Lewis not finding things comfortable that you find comfortable? No, I just thought it was an interesting <laughs> an interesting list he gave of being like, yep, Narnian clothing is good and there's no flannel or elastic in it. Yeah. Anyway, this is a rough banter session. Let's just move on to the chapter. That's what I was um, trying to do. <laughs> um, so the first thing we do is discuss our summaries or read our summaries and then discuss them. Um, so I've gotten that completely wrong. As, as Chris and I are reading through the chapters, we will choose uh, five sentences out of the chapter, rip them out of their context and try to convey the plot of the chapter in five sentences. This chapter is very difficult. Yeah, it was. Um, cause a lot happens in this chapter and there aren't a good amount of like idealized sentences for it, but it's also very hard to rewrite. 
Yeah, it was a yeah. The rewrite, yeah, like my rewrite was a better summary of the, my first pass at the rewrite was better than my summary for summarizing the chapter. I was like, uh-huh. oops, well, my bad. Just try, try that again. Again. All yeah. right. Would you like to go first, Kristen? You want me to go first? What are we doing? I'll go ahead and do my summary first. Sure. Cool. Here's my summary. Before they had covered half the distance, he had flung Eustace in and shut the door on him. I feel in my bones, said Poggin, that we shall all, one by one, pass through that dark door before morning. He dropped his sword, darted forward in under the sweep of the Tarkin scimitar, seized his enemy by the belt with both hands, and jumped back into the stable, shouting, Come in and meet Tash yourself. With a sudden jerk, like a hen stooping to pick up a worm, Tash pounced on the miserable Rishta and tucked him under the upper of his two right arms. Seven kings and queens stood before him, all with crowns on their heads and all in glittering clothes, but the kings wore fine mail as well and had their swords drawn in their hands. Fine. So our sentences one, three, and five are the same. Okay. <laughs> We had the same sentences in the same spots. Okay. For those. That hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah, if at all. So I I switched up two and four, but uh, just for the sake of redundancy, I'll read mine. Sure. I love redundancy. Mm -hmm. Before they'd covered half the distance, he had flung Eustace in and shut the door on him. And then the last battle of the last king of Narnia began. He dropped his sword, darted forward in under the sweep of the Tarkan scimitar, seized his enemy by the belt with both hands, and jumped back into the stable, shouting, Come in and meet Tash yourself! But immediately from behind Tash, strong and calm as the summer sea, a voice said, Be gone, monster, and take your lawful prey to your own place. In the name of Aslan and Aslan's great father, the emperor over the sea. Seven kings and queens stood before him, all with crowns on their heads and all in glittering clothes. But the kings wore fine mail, and as but the kings wore fine mail as well, and had their swords drawn in their hands. So there you go. Um, had to include that last battle, the last king of Narnia thing in there. Yeah. So this is an intense chapter. There's a lot here. Um, this is one of those chapters that I'm confused by. Okay. Yeah, I remember when you were reading it, the first thing you said was, so are they all dead? Yeah, um, I don't think we're going to get to an answer to that at the end of this one, and we'll see in the next one. I'm leaning toward it, but uh, let's talk about what happens here. So this is in the, the middle of the pitched battle, uh, still happening from the past couple chapters, uh, and it's not going the way of... Uh, Tyrion and friends. Yeah, so it starts with them all running to the rock because they're yeah. trying to get away from the stable, which they had discussed at the end of the last chapter. Yeah. And um, Jill has shot her arrows and forgotten to run to the rock. Yeah. And so then she turns around and runs to the rock and makes it there right at the same time as everybody else because she's apparently a much slower runner than everyone else. Everybody else except... Except for Eustace. Yes. Who gets carried off. Who got caught and carried off and thrown into the stable. Yep, so immediately in the chapter, first thing, Eustace gets thrown into the stable. Yep. That's a lot. Yeah. So he just gets taken. And then we have uh, the dwarves start shooting arrows at the the Tarkan and his crew. 
Yeah. Forgetting that they had armor on. Yeah. So we have this this moment where it's like, oh, yeah, they're supposed to be equally damaging both sides, but, like, they killed all the horses because the horses were unarmed and then uh, unarmored. Yeah. And then they started shooting arrows at the Tarkin and couldn't do as much damage to them. And then they got chased off by the Tarkins, and 11 of them get brought, dragged back and thrown into the stable. Yeah. So we have this moment of reprieve where Rishta tells a few people to watch the people. You're doing my job for me, by the way. You're, no, it's fine. You're excited about this chapter, but keep going. You weren't doing it. <laughs> I was. You jumped in and you started being like, no, bullet points. Let's go faster, faster, faster. No, continue. Go ahead. Your turn. <laughs> What happened after Rishta told... Well, like, I, I I jumped too far ahead in my description, and I needed to go back and fix it. Uh-huh. So um, that's what's going on over here. Yeah. I jumped all the way to the dwarves getting thrown in, but it's kind of skipped over the little reprieve that they had, and Poggin saying his piece that I used the line about f- feeling in his bones that they'd all pass through the door. Well, no, your, your, your order was right. The dwarves get thrown in first, and then... And then Poggin says yeah. that? Oh, okay. Well, so, whatever. Dwarves get tossed in right away. Um, I mean, we skipped the part about Jill remembering not to cry on her bowstring. I wrote a note about that. <laughs> I have it. Like, it's my first note. Bowstrings must stay dry. Yep. Duh. Like, <laughs> that is that is a piece of advice that was mentioned in one of the previous chapters. One of the last two chapters. Yep. And um, that uh, Tyrion had given that feedback to jill that she needed to be careful of her bowstring when she started blubbering don't forget to wipe your bowstring yeah and that's and that's the other thing where i'm just like like it makes sense to to not like put away a dirty sword but it doesn't make sense to me that you have to keep a bowstring dry like i i guess i just don't know enough about medieval bows but like all of my exposure to medieval bows are like fantasy and like the Battle of Helm's Deep that takes place fully in the rain and heavily relies on archers and things like that where I'm just like, wait, why? Why does that need? Also, why is it so important for C.S. Lewis to communicate to children reading this book in the 50s that they need to keep their bowstrings dry? Yeah. What did, what did Lewis know that we don't? Yeah. Um. <laughs> what? Why is it so important? Like, because some of his random advice is, like, really amusing as to, like, oh, why would he just feel it was so important to, like, talk about all the time drying your sword, cleaning your sword, and all of this stuff. But, like, but this one, though. Anyway, yeah, it's just interesting. Like, I think we touched on... I, I don't know. Did we touch on the sword as the phallic image? I mean, we've ta- talked about the bow being a yonic image. And, like, it's just interesting having C.S. Lewis give all of this advice about all of these things. That's it. I'm yeah. done. You're done. That's, that's all you're going to say? I, right. I, I might not even say that. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, just I mean, keep the bowstring dry. It's really important. Yeah, you did already say that, so you can't really take that back. Well, I can edit it out. Like, I don't have to leave it yeah. in. You can't unring a bell. Oh. And, anyway so uh yeah the the dwarves are uh fire on the calamines obviously they're trying to take narnia for themselves uh they they shout some really problematic stuff yes um, they do. once again 
They're very slurry. Yeah, and, and especially later when the line says, <laughs> Tyrion could hear Griffel using dreadful language. Yes. <laughs> and so I'm just like, what What did they not include? Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> let's, let's leave in all of the threats <sighs> and, and the racial slurs, what? but let's go ahead and also, like comment on how foul the language was of the dwarves that we're not going to include yes but also we established several books ago that like dwarven swear words are like uh i don't know bumbles and buttons or like yeah. stuff like that yeah <laughs> all of these <laughs> hoops and wow i don't know whistles and whirly gigs i think was one yeah whistles and whirly gigs <laughs> but like so uh, we don't know what happens to all the dwarves. Eleven of them get sacrificed to Tash. Yeah, we don't wow. really know how many of them there were, though. Like, how many of them actually. Yeah. We, we, yeah. Because if it was the same group of dwarves that they had rescued, it might have been all of them. Uh, entirely possible. It seemed like when they rescued the group of dwarves, there were more, but who knows. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I thought it was like a dozen dwarves or something, but that might be just me yeah. putting that in there. So, all of the... Like, the Calarmines realize suddenly that Tash is there, and Tash is in the stable. Risht is really shocked by this. Yeah. Uh, there also, there, there is also no nonsense about Tashland now yeah. mentioned. And they're all just like, let's immediately start sacrificing. Let's let's do it. I guess that's that's important now. Well, he's let's obviously not angered by them throwing people into it. I mean, I don't know. When they threw Shift in, there was a great earthquake and flash of light and stuff. I don't know if that's an expression of anger or not. Yeah. Um. Anyway, then they have a little drink. Somehow there's... Uh, oh, yeah, just randomly there's a little stream of water coming that's out flowing of down out of the rock. Very uh, <laughs> mosaic image. Yeah. Um. And then they have a fun little drink and they can that think about Moses, nothing else. Right? Yeah, I didn't... I, Sorry, I've never heard anybody refer to that as mosaic, uh, talking about the works of Moses. Well, you can say Abrahamic. Yeah, you can. So, Moses-ish. Uh, Very first, Moses-like. First, isn't that a hop? Um, anyway. Mosaic is a tile. <laughs> anyway. Most delicious drink they've ever had in their lives. Uh, and then Poggin decides to ruin the moment and being like, yeah, we're all going to die tonight. Hope you guys are ready. Yeah. Realize that. So yeah, Pogan's like, I can think of a hundred ways I'd rather die. Uh, and then Jules is like, yep, we're going to die. We'll end up in Aslan's table and we're going to feast, or country, and we're going to feast at his table tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, so everybody is uh, pretty much resigned to the fact that they're they're done. Which, I mean, in the face of these overwhelming odds. Uh, and then the Tarkan calls out. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, hey, so I'm going to offer some of you a chance to surrender. And offers amnesty uh, to the boar and the dogs and the unicorn if they'll come over. Hey, you can be slaves in Calarmine until you're dead. Isn't that preferable? Yeah, all the beasts. Yeah, uh, except the eagle. Like, he really hates Farsight. He's just like, nope, I'm not going to even give Farsight the chance to surrender. He's dead. Does he say anything about him or just ignore him? No, he says. Uh, he says uh, he offers the chance to the dogs, the unicorn, and the boar. Then he says, but the eagle, the children, and he who was the king shall be offered to task this night. Okay. So I thought it was interesting he singled out Farsight as uh, an animal that was going to get killed. Interesting. Yeah, the one beast who's getting killed. Yeah. Um. Also, where'd Puzzle go in this? Did we... Puzzle still there? He was, yeah. as far as we know. Yeah. Like, we didn't have the death of Puzzle, and like Tarkan doesn't mention Puzzle at all. Yeah, I don't so, know. So, 
Where'd he go? Excellent question. I should have written a note about that. <laughs> um, maybe he's going to come back and save the day. He snuck out, and you know, he's going to bring Aslan back. Who knows? Um, so anyway... Somehow get the skin back on? What's he going to do? Yeah. Nobody, um, nobody surrenders, and so the battle picks up again. And what made it hopeless is the spears, obviously. Yes. Um, well, I mean, they obviously suddenly had spears because the... Uh, yeah. The ones that were there originally with shift, all of the all of those Calarmines had snuck in yeah. as travelers, so they could only bring their swords with them. Yeah. But you know Can't hide a spear. It's really important to know that now the Calarmines that are here have spears because of the fact that Shift continued to like work with Yeah. It's just it's like why did you waste the paper? <laughs> That's where I'm. That's where I'm at right now. Anyway, continue. Um, I mean, just uh, adding to the general sense of hopelessness and how you know much of an uphill battle this would be for them. Yep. Um, anyway, so they're in the battle fighting for the. But lives. it's also really important to explain how the spears affect the fact that the t- the the boar's tusks can't get to you and the unicorn's horn can't get to you. Yeah. Like, yeah. If only the unicorn if had a longer horn. You've never seen a spear before. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so they're in a pitch battle that is not as bad as you might have expected it to be because when you're fighting 12 guys, uh, you don't really have the time to be afraid or sad or anything. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. just, uh, you know, I don't know. I've never been engaged in a fight for my life, so. But you also can't keep your back to the rock. You have to take every, every shot you get. Yeah. Uh, and every swing you can. And so Tyrion is ducking and weaving and soon he finds himself getting further and further away. And he doesn't realize that they're herding him towards the stable, but also, like, he forgets that the stable is something he's meant to avoid. Yeah, and only is vaguely aware of somebody pulling Jill away by her hair. Yeah. So she gets taken away. Eustace is gone. And now uh, this book is about somebody else entirely. Yeah, the boar gets taken down, so it's still Jewel there. Uh, and Tyrion and the dogs, wherever Puzzle went, who knows. Uh, and then all of a sudden he was fighting Rishta himself. Yep. Uh, he was right up there duking it out with the Tarkan. Uh, there's a little fight scene, and then Tyrion gets the idea of like, hey, we're already close to the stable, I'm just gonna throw him in. Yep. See how he likes that, and how Tash likes this sacrifice. Yeah. Grabs Tarkan, throws him in the stable. With, well, jumps into the stable, holding on to him. It's the same, it's the same strategy you use to get somebody into a pool that doesn't want to go. You grab them and jump in. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this interesting line. For a moment or two, Tyrion did not know where he was or even who he was. Yep. Uh... That's reminiscent of something we've yeah. seen in Narnian lore before. Yeah, and that's uh, coming back to this motif, uh, specifically of like the wood between worlds or like travel between different places. Yep. Where he goes into the stable and he has this bout of amnesia, mm-hmm. where whatever is inside the stable almost seems like a different plane or a different layer of existence. Yes. Um. But then he comes back, uh, there's a blinding light, looks over at Rish to Tarkan, Tarkan's just frozen in fear, and then looks over at Tash. Hey, look, we see Tash. It's Tash. He's in the stable. I've it's got him. a giant full-page art of Tash. But it's, he's not as big as, or is he bigger? No, he's not as big. He's not as big as he appeared in Narnia. Yeah. Which uh, is an interesting thing, because now we're like literally face-to-face with Tash. Yeah. And he's smaller than he, he had appeared when... 
we mm-hmm. saw him in in Narnia. Well, he had to fit inside the stable. Maybe he can change sizes. Okay. Um, Tash is there, uh, and I want to take a moment uh, to talk about Tash. But first, we hear Tash's first line mm-hmm. in the book. Don't know if he ever gets more because he disappears uh, in this chapter. Yep. But maybe Tash's first and only line. Uh, and says, Thou hast called me into Narnia, Rishtatarkan, here I am, what hast thou to say? Uh, apparently Tash is pretty polite, like, I mean, he, he, I, he's I, a well-spoken demon I, god. I would say that all sounds very menacing. <sighs> not, not necessarily polite, uh-huh. but more menacing and calling to account. Yeah, uh, and it really seems like he didn't want to be there. Like... That, that that tone kind of implies that just like, yeah, I didn't want to come, but I was summoned, so what are you going to do about it? Yeah, so a like, bit. Uh, Which brings me to the question, and I, I don't know how much we need to spend on this, how much time we need to spend on this, because again, he gets banished. I don't know if he comes back. But where does Tash come from, really? Yeah, uh, well, and my my counter to that was where does Tash go? I wrote that down on my notes, like, where does Tash go when he is told to leave, to take his rightful claimant and go? Yeah. Where does he come from, Cotton Eye Joe? But anyway. It's my line. Yep. And I was going to say it. Um, yeah, because going through all of Narnia, uh, you know, in the Christian allegory, we have, you know, do you know Aslan's Jesus? We haven't brought that up in a while. Uh, he hasn't really been in this book, so we haven't had a chance to talk about it. But what <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Aslan's Jesus, and in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and more specifically in uh, Magician's Nephew, we get into the lore of Jadis, and you know Jadis is very much like a Satan figure in this mythos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know she she falls from heaven and like comes from this other plane into Narnia and decides to work against Aslan, and you know. Etc. Etc. Um, but Tash just seems to be here. Yeah. Like we we were here in the creation of Narnia. Like we saw the world spring into existence, and Aslan brought all these things out. We introduced evil in the form of Jadis, who came in from another world. But then at some point, Tash just appears. Like this wasn't a thing created by Aslan, surely. Well, maybe so, we don't know. But also, Tash has the right to claim the lives of people from planet narnia but not from narnia yeah like he has a right to claim the life of rishta yeah which is i don't know i i'm struggling to place tash in the allegory here because i feel like you can't really say that tash is a satanic figure demonic sure but like seems to be kind of a weird it's a weird way to introduce this as like, oh, this is the last battle. This is the you know, the apocalypse. We're going to throw down Tash and like remake the world and all that kind of stuff. It's weird that this figure doesn't have a presence before this book. It's mentioned a couple times. Yeah, Tash is mentioned by name in The Horse and His Boy. Yeah. And I think in one other book, yeah. there's a reference to Tash. But Tash is the god of Kallerman. Yeah, and just shows up and is just like, well... What are you going to do with me? And then so was immediately... he a part of making Callerman on this plane? Like, we don't know. We don't. We have a lot of unknowns about Tash and how he can be there. But he, if we're in a different plane because we have this passing through the door and forgetting of who he of who he is. Yeah. 
Tash can also occupy this other plane as well. Uh-huh. And so he's present in Narnia physically, when he, where he was summoned to from Kellerman. Yeah. But he can also occupy this other plane yeah. where he can claim Rishta and then be banished, essentially. Yeah. Cool. We'll learn more, I hope. Yeah, Otherwise, maybe. we'll just have a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, I think, I feel like he's very sudden. Yeah. Uh, as an antagonist. But um, yeah, you also have the question, like you said, like, did Aslan make him? Yeah. What is this? No, it also bothers me because, like, Lewis isn't bad at antagonists. Like, we had Jadis, who has done very well, and, like, we have reasons to dislike her, and, like, her character gets a lot of, of build-up. Uh, in Magician's Nephew, we have Uncle Andrew, who's kind of an antagonist there, and we have reasons to hate him, and, like, he has this foil throughout the entire book. In this, Tash doesn't really do anything. It just, Tash shows up. Um, we know... N- we, we don't have reason to believe that he's actually done anything wrong. It's like, hey, well, somebody, people have gotten thrown into the stable and something happens. Yes, but he's also <laughs> vicious looking and yeah. he is the, the god, the great and terrible god Tash yeah. of the Calermines. Like, they yeah. portray him in a horrific light. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... He jumps forward, grabs Rishta. Apparently he's not happy about being summoned, so grabs Rishta and is going to do whatever to him. And then, from behind him, there's a voice. From behind Tash. Yep. A voice says, be gone, monster. It's that sentence I used in my summary. Uh, and then Tash disappears. Tarkin. And he's gone. Without uh, a word. Yep. Boom. He gets, uh, he gets uh, what do you call that? Ex- not exercised. Banished. Uh, banished. Yep. A word I've said three times. Yeah. And then Tyrion looks around and sees instead of this scene that he was seeing before. He's not in a stable no more. He's not in a stable. He's not in Kansas anymore. And he sees seven kings and queens standing before him. Yes. Now, let's talk about the fact that they're all kings and queens. Because it's about to be revealed that Jill and Eustace are among them wearing crowns. Yep. Never wear kings and queens. Polly's there. Yeah. Diggory's there. Yeah. Wearing crowns. Yep. Never were kings or queens. Correct. In fact, they were there for the coronation of the first king of Narnia, King Frank. Yep. Uh, They were never officially royalty, though... Why are they all described as kings and queens, and why are they all wearing crowns? Well, there's there's some stuff we can get into here. Um, Also, why do they have swords? Do they need swords? Is this a place where they need swords? Is this a place where Tash can just come and go as he pleases and they need swords in order to defend themselves? Like, where are they? Well, there's your phallic imagery. Why do they have... Why do all the men have swords out? (laughs) Uh, So here's here's the thing. This is what leads... This is one of the things that leads me more into thinking that this is some sort of afterlife or they're somehow dead or we've moved on to, you know, Aslan's country or whatever... Because it fits along with, like, the Christian imagery of, you know, your your crown that you wear in heaven. And, like, when you ascend to heaven, like, you become, uh, you know, I, I don't want to use the word kings. There's biblical references to it. But, like, yeah. royalty that serves under the throne of God and, like, this this kind of thing that happens. Yeah. As, as saints ascend to heaven. And so that imagery makes me think kind of that they are. Also, Jill and Eustace are there. We see Eustace get thrown into the stable. 
he's there. Well, Jill, that, that make, it makes sense that Jill and Eustace would be wherever it is that Tyrion ends up because all of them got thrown into the stable. Yes, but also Jill's had a complete change of clothes and is no longer dirty and like battle scarred and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like she's been reformed. Uh, and, and so she looks older, but not older. Yeah. Uh, and so this all leads me to think, oh, hey, they're all dead. Mm-hmm. However, then you have the question of the people who are on Earth, like Diggory, Polly, Peter, uh, Edmund, and Lucy were on Earth. Like, all five of them wouldn't have just died. <laughs> Hopefully not. And, and Unless something went terribly wrong with their plan to come to Narnia. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't make sense that they'd be dead as well and then showing up here. So... I don't know. Uh, well, what do the rings do that they had gone to collect to give to Jill and Eustace? Take you to the Wood Between Worlds, which yes. you can get into the pool to go to Narnia. Yes. But they don't take you to Narnia. Correct. They take you to the Wood Between the Worlds. Yeah, which is so, overrun by guinea pigs. Yeah, absolutely. We knew that. So what you're saying is if we're suddenly in the shadow of a guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. That'll be the name of my uh, Narnian. So, So what I'm saying is that it's possible, sorry, in the shadow of a guinea pig. That'll be the name of my Narnian fan fiction book that I publish. There you go. (laughs) What I'm saying is that the crew of everybody else that's not Eustace and Jill have access to the rings. Yes. They weren't going to use them because they were were like, we can't go back to Narnia, but they might have remembered like, oh, hey, we can use these rings to get to the wood between the world. And they might have used them. Like, before Jill and Eustace ever even got on the train. Like, we don't know. They were just supposed to meet them. Yeah. And so, Jill and Eustace and Tyrion may have just all ended up in the wood between the worlds where everyone else already was. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so I really don't know what the deal is here. Yeah, Um, I mean, because if they... If they had gotten to the wood between the world and Jill and Eustace, because Tyrion, at the end of the chapter, wants to apologize for appearing in all of his muck and grime and looks down at himself and realizes that his clothes have been refreshed as well. Yeah. And that he is in the same kind of royal garb as everybody else. Yeah. So in that case, it is like, did Tyrion get killed or like by Tash or whatever, but it doesn't make any sense because all we see Tash do is pick up Rishta and immediately gets banished. Yeah. Like... It, it's, it's hard to follow. Yeah, it is. And hard to come up with a a sensible narrative here. Anywho, um, so he gets introduced to them. Oh, hey, we have the, the old kings and queens of Narnia. We have Polly and Diggory who are there at the creation of the world. Tyrion Uh, tries to bow down to these kings and queens and Jill laughs at him and starts giggling and then he realizes who she is and Eustace. Yeah, et cetera. Uh, we have this weird little aside about how Narnian clothes are much more comfortable than earth clothes are. Yep. Uh, cool. Somehow they do that well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, meets Peter. Uh, Peter embraces him and is just like, hey, cool, we're finally here to help. I know we're a little late. He doesn't say that, but seems like (laughs) he should. Uh, and then Tyrion's just like, oh, by the way, isn't there supposed to be another one of you? Where's Susan at? Yep. Uh, and then we have a a few little paragraphs of, of just Susan bashing and yep. being like, this this is the first introduction of, like, all the old kings and queens of Narnia to Tyrion. He comes before them, like, proper introductions, bows, hugs, kisses, etc. And then he's just like, where's Susan? And the first thing that most of them talk about is how crap of a person Susan is. They're just like, oh, don't get me started on her. We've been wanting to rant about Susan forever. 
I don't like, feel like it's necessarily a rant. It's just, it's, it is the opportunity to share their disappointment. Yeah. Uh, and but, Peter's just like, yep, no longer a friend of Narnia. Eustace chimes in and is just like, yeah, we've tried to get her to come talk about stuff. She's always just like, you know, pretends it didn't happen or didn't exist. She says, oh, what, what playful memories do you have? Uh-huh. Jill says she's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. And Polly says that she has wasted her time trying to get to the age that she is and is going to spend the rest of her life wishing that she could be that age again. Yeah. Yeah, that line. Anyway, I wanted to read this line. Her whole idea is to race on to the silliest time of one's life as quick as she can and then stop there as long as she can. What's the silliest time in one's life? Adulthood? Because, like, that's... If you're saying that, like... Young adulthood, I don't know. Like, I mean, (laughs) it's that judgment that, like, older people give to younger people when they're like, oh, you're not going to be young forever, you know, like, that kind of thing. Or, like... It's that it's that comment that every thirty year old makes. It's like thirty's the new twenty, you know, like ha ha ha. I'm not getting older. I'm still happy to be in my young agedness, yeah. you know. So yeah, I was curious about that. Uh, whether he's specifically talking about young adulthood, like the college aged years, silliest time in one's life. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I th- I think it would be weird to call the entirety of adulthood that because like oh yeah. Well, I don't three- think she's doing that. Yeah. Three quarters of your life, silliest time. Yeah, I know. I think she's talking about young adulthood being like a finally 20-something, you know. Uh-huh. All of that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, Susan's no longer a friend of Narnia. Uh, I feel like we should talk about that. What's Susan's deal again? It's Susan the the wise, Susan... I always forget the names. Gentle. Susan the gentle. Um... Why do we think we lose her? She's the one that abandons Narnia. Why? I mean, it's always been difficult to get her, like, into Narnia to begin with, to enjoy it, to not be the mothery figure. Like, it's this very maternal character that she's played from the very beginning. Yeah. And then, you know, like... When she is crowned as Susan the Gentle, it just, I don't know, it just seems like that is one more, like, emphasis on her maternal mother-iness or whatever, which is about maturity, and it's gentle, maternal, blah, blah, blah. This is something we've kind of been building up to through the whole series because it's something that we, you kind of knew ahead of time, I've mentioned ahead of time, or kind of spoiled for you, that Susan's never going to come back. Uh And that's this is something that kind of just gets written off. And there were, like, requests made to C.S. Lewis after this series was published that were like, can you please finish Susan's story? Uh Like, can you please write a Susan of Narnia book? Uh Um, And he was just like, no, if the inspiration comes to me, I write, and it doesn't, and it won't. Uh-huh. And it was just kind of like, no, that's not going to be a thing. Yeah. Like, and it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know because I feel like a lot of it is just C.S. Lewis just being like, yep, some people who had the truth and all of the joy and were part of making everything happen in Narnia, some of them just lose it and leave and it's gone and it's done and they're not redeemed ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make this sound gross or like get too much into it, but... 
I feel like this is partially uh, a symptom of C.S.'s Lewis's C.S.'s Lewis's uh, C.S. Lewis. Thesaurus. Yep. Of C.S. Lewis's uh, weird relationship with women. Yeah. Um, where in the entirety of the Narnia series, we have girls, yep. like prepubescent young women. Mm-hmm. We have, in the case of Polly, like post-menopause, like older, grandmotherly, matronly type women. Yep. We have one woman in the entire series who is like, I don't know. Janus. Yeah. We have one woman in the entire series who is, uh, I don't want to say in the fertile years of her life. Yeah. Or like, you know, post-pubescent, but pre- A woman. Older. We have one woman. Woman. And she's Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when Susan enters Which is enters very that... much like the Disney image of like the mother being like the evil stepmother or just dead. Yeah. You know, like- that that is a very consistent thing with Disney maternal impact characters. Like, if there is a good mother, the good mother is dead. Uh huh. Otherwise, the the adult women are all evil. Uh, I mean, you can play around with the ages of some like the Disney princesses. Like, I feel like Snow White's a bit older. No, um, she's oh. twelve. Okay. Well, whatever. Um. Is, uh, does Mrs. Incredible count? Because she's pretty cool. <laughs> is who? Sorry? Uh, Mrs. Incredible. Mrs. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, it's just a, it's a weird thing that the, like... That's, that's a Pixar product. Yeah. And that's one of the things that was remarkable about Pixar was having adult women characters who were not dead or, and or, you know, yeah. evil. Crazy. So you think this is, this is a greater, uh societal theme i mean it's definitely a societal theme when it comes to fantasy period yes the erasure of women well and it's not the erasure of women it is it is the woman as the virgin or the villain Uh like those are very distinctive care like you have you have the old grandma hag you have the the hag villain vicious woman and then you have like the the virginal child who is like, needing to be protected. And this goes back to Arthurian legend. Like, when you talk about all of these different historical images within uh, European fairy tale, this is the structure of those stories. Yeah. There are there are girls that are children, and then there are women that are villains or grandmothers. Yeah. And, like, those are, those are your three possibilities for a woman in, in the stories. And this is... C.S. Lewis just once again iterating that same imagery again where it's just like, yeah, well, you have you have the children and you have the grandma, but the adult woman, Susan, no, she is just dead now, basically. Yeah. She's yeah. gone. So, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like we could... Uh... I. We could go on and on and on about it. However, yeah. I have spent hours and hours of my student life in an English department talking about this. Yeah, we can bring up some more in uh, in our wrap-up of the series. Anywho, so we bash Susan for a while, and then Tyrion, uh, or not Tyrion, doesn't realize this, but Peter's just like, well, we didn't come here to talk about Susan. Have some fruit. Look, fruit trees. Yep. All around us. Hey, we're not in Kansas anymore. Tyrion realizes... Where's the stable? Yep. Here's some fruit trees. That's weird. That's weird. We've been transported somewhere else. And then Where the are the skinny pigs from? 
<laughs> and then the chapter ends. Yep. So, <laughs> cool. Are there pools nearby? Does it mention specifically? There is water coming out of the rock, and there's a little pool that they drink from. So. Yeah, but that's that's in Narnia. Yeah. Like, are there pools near the trees? Not that we see. Okay. Uh, so, anything that we need to spend more time on? I think we've been we've thoroughly analyzed this chapter. Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Would you like to move on to our next segment, Kristen? Sure. All right. What are we doing that one? Our next segment is our rewrites. This is where, uh, as Chris and I were reading through the chapter, we each chose five sentences out of the chapter. We each chose five sentences out of the chapter and tried to write a new story with them, telling a different tale or changing something about the story, um, just for funsies. Yep. And I went first with my summary. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and read your rewrite first? Sure. Here's my rewrite. Again, as I said, hard chapter to rewrite, but I did my best. It was far smaller than the shape they had seen from the tower, though still much bigger than a man, and it was the same. It is more like a mouth. A new idea came into Tyrion's head. Where is Queen Susan? The only answer was growls. Oh, did Tash eat Queen Susan? Yeah, yeah, Some, something like that. I was just trying to do something different with Susan's uh, absence. Yeah. So there you go. You also used that sense it was more like a mouth, which was something I did want to talk about with the imagery of the stable being perceived more as a mouth in this like ominous uh, perspective given to it where it's very menacing and it's very much like a villain is just the stable. Uh-huh. Anyway, that's it. Here's my rewrite. Cool. I feel it in my bones, said Poggin, that we shall all, one by one, pass through that dark door before morning. Tyrion bowed courteously and was about to speak when the youngest of the queens laughed. Next minute, they were all fighting for their lives. I wish she would grow up. Tyrion knew he could do nothing for the others now. They were all doomed together. Okay. You kept a very dark tone there. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Decent job, though, with, with what you had to work with. Yeah. So, so cool. It was a rough one. All right. Cool. So we move on to our last segment of the podcast, Kristen. All righty. Let's do it. <laughs> it's the final conflict. Okay. Um <laughs> The insane productions values of this podcast just never cease to amaze me. <laughs> um, so, anywho, in this segment, I thought it'd be fun for the, you know, as the last book, the the final battle, uh, last battle, sorry, <laughs> the last battle, to uh, have a last battle between many of the characters throughout the Narnian series and see who comes out on top. Uh, we've been doing that for a while. We have, we are currently in the quarterfinals. Uh, Kristen, what is our next mashup? This is King Frank versus Corin. All right, himself. Uh, King Frank versus his great 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 grandson. Yep. <sighs> Probably several more greats in there, but descendant nonetheless. Yep. Uh, and if you want to give me a random number from one to ten, I'll tell us where we're fighting here. All right. Nine. 
Uh, this we're in giant country. All right, can't stop here. All right, uh, so we have King Frank versus Corn uh, Thunderfist. Man, yep. my first instinct is to say this isn't a contest at all. Yep. Um, but I mean, <laughs> as far as we know, King Frank hasn't had any conflict because he was the first king of Narnia. Like not in Narnia, at least he hasn't had any conflict. Yeah. Um, and. So he hasn't seen battle outside some, you know, scuffles on the streets of London. Yeah. Um, but he's brave. He is brave. He is he is strong. He's got his horse. Yeah. Probably. Uh, and I if mean, we can't we can't just assume <laughs> that he's gonna get the horse, but yeah. you know, like whatever. Um, he stands up to the witch mm-hmm. when she's in Narnia, throwing people around and breaking arms off of the the lampposts and stuff like that yeah uh so there's a lot of bravery if we're going by how they appear in the books and not like going you know messing with timey-wimey stuff and being like well this is corin as an adult if we're going with how they appear in the books but we do have corin as an adult in the books where he fights the bear and all of that stuff like that's where he's got the name thunderfist like he does exist in the books in that context as well yeah uh I don't know. I'm just saying, based based on first appearances, King Frank is going to have a considerable size advantage because, like, Corin is still it's like twelve uh, when he shows up. Although he does like punch out a full grown man, so this isn't a <laughs> a thing that's a that's a stranger to him. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we know Corin has a a ton of combat prowess. Like they call him Thunder Fist. Like he's going fighting bears. Like he he he's got a you know fist of steel. Uh, and we, we hear a lot about his exploits. Uh, Frank is a gentleman, uh, doesn't really seem to like conflict, like is brave, not afraid of it, but like would rather not. Yeah. Uh, whereas Corin like lives for it. It's like conflict is his bread and butter. Uh, so I think if anything, Frank would try to talk him down. (laughs) Yeah. And be like, hey, as you're as your 18 times removed great-grandfather. Yeah. Let me tell you something here, and let's sing a song. And Corn's going to be not having any of it, yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, very much not. And so I think we kind of have to give this one to Corin because I don't uh, I, I don't even see Frank as wanting to fight him, much less uh, being able to beat him. But Yeah. Yeah. I think it might, it might be a different story if this was an evil character we're talking about and Frank's fighting for, like, the good of Narnia. But... It's know. a good thing I already wrote down the corn one. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had to talk it out, though. So we're corn is moving on as a surprise to absolutely nobody. Uh, next week, what's our next... Uh, I feel like there isn't a whole lot that even any of the the country they're fighting in could do to change it. Probably not. Uh, like, yeah. Unless they were in London. Yeah, we were... That's we the only... Yeah. We didn't talk about giant country, but that does... Yeah. Uh, well, because, I mean, King Frank won against the Duffers to get into the quarterfinals because... Yes. They f- were fighting in London. Yeah, had the home field advantage. Yeah. Uh, so what's our last quarterfinal matchup, Kristen? I think we have one more before we get into semis. Yes. It's going to be Puddleglum versus Glenstorm. It's going to be a, that'll be a battle. Yeah. All right. So much magic. It's going to be like, we, I like how we ended up with the, the, the vaguely magic-y characters mm-hmm. that we are pretending don't have magic. Yeah. That they're the ones that have to fight each other. It yeah. just worked out that way. This is going to be an intense one. All right, Kristen, you want to take us out? Sure. Cool. Where are we going?
Well, I was supposed to take you on an adventure, so. You are. That's that's happened. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed Chapter 12 of The Last Battle. Join us next week or the one after, depending on how life treats us, for Chapter 13, uh, How the Dwarves Refused to Be Taken In. Ooh. Wonder what's going to happen there. Wow. I mean, 11 of them got taken in. So. Yep. <laughs> but where are they? Did Tash pick them up and carry them away? Where are they? What are they doing? Don't they know. got thrown through. Where are they? Are they eating fruit? Are they being chased by guinea pigs? Well, want to know. <laughs> to a dwarf, a guinea pig might be like a regular size pig. <laughs> if you want to interact with us and give us your thoughts about the uh, the guinea pigs in Aslan's country, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of Tash picking up Rishta at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com you can also contribute to our patreon at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast if you're cool like that and until next time don't worry about invitations you might not end up in Aslan's country I was going to say don't try to bring your nylons in Narnia (laughs) (laughs) there's no elastic there Bye. Bye. I went hoops and holocausts in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I can't. And then Tyrion's just like, oh, by the way, isn't there supposed to be another one of you? Where's Lucy? Susan. Tyrion's like, oh, hey. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed the chapter that we were just talking about. A symptom of C.S.'s Lewis's, C.S.'s Lewis's, uh, C.S. Lewis. Yep. That it doesn't take you to Narnia. Would you stop? You stupid plane! Yes, it's going to be Puddle Glum versus the planes. <laughs> I just got to get up there. <laughs> and today we are discussing Chapter 12, Through the Stable Door, which is, of course, Chapter 12 of The Last Battle, because I'm struggling. And is elastic generally considered uncomfy? Uh, Hello? Because hello, I mean people Hel- wear. It's annoying. Elastic is so uncomfortable. I'm almost done with my caramel. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> it started there for a minute. Okay. Well, Kristen's broke. I'm going to go ahead and finish this podcast by myself. Um...